Well, we can uh, start this afternoon's session in, back in Hebrews 9 for a minute, please. Uh, the book of Hebrews and chapter 9. Hebrews 9. We have spent some time here in the big section on the outside called the court sometimes referred to as the courtyard, uh, and saw cleansing as the big action out there, and at the altar it was sacrifice. And what comes first in a person's approach to God when they come through that one door, that one gate? But as you see this parable of the tabernacle, it doesn't stop there. There is a sanctuary there, a two-room sanctuary with the holy place and the holiest, and there's activity in both of those rooms that will take us to what goes beyond, shall we say, salvation, the forgiveness of sins. So if you go to, back to Hebrews 9, please. Hebrews 9. And verse 6. Verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So we jump ahead here for a minute. Uh, the priest would go into here, uh, the first tabernacle, and accomplish the service of God. So in here, the, the big heading is the service, the service of God. Not the service of men here, but the service of God. Sacrifice on the outside, cleansing on the outside. But now it takes you to the service of God, that is consecration. And so what we're going to talk about is the service of God. Uh, we jumped ahead a couple slides, and we'll go one more uh, to this one here. Here you see a priest, and he's in here actually accomplishing the service of God. Well, in this session this afternoon, we want to, as we progress where the gospel takes us to the service of God, look at at least two things. What qualifies you for the service of God? That's a big thing, to walk into the holy place, very near the veil beyond where the presence of God is over the ark and the mercy seat. What qualifies a person, a priest in those days, to put his foot in here and accomplish the mighty ministry of the service of God? We also want to begin to consider, what is the service of God? People say, I serve the Lord. Well, what do you mean? What, what is the service of God? So we wanted to consider what is the service of God and what qualifies one to accomplish the service of God. <laughs> so go with me, please, uh, to Ezekiel 44 for a minute. Book of Ezekiel chapter 44. As we're now going to move, as we go backwards a bit, we're now going to move from the outer courtyard to the holy place. Because in this section, the service of God is accomplished. Uh, and uh, we get a little more on that in Ezekiel 44. Now, Ezekiel 44 is speaking of the future millennial temple, which hasn't even been built yet, okay, obviously. And there is a sacrificial system going on for national Israel and the world. And, and in that, he's going to speak of the priesthood here, but we're going to learn something from it. We're going to learn something that was true even at the tabernacle, the temple. We're going to learn something in this section of a future temple that was true in any age of the, of the house of God in the Old Testament. He's, so he's speaking of different levels of service here. And uh, based on Israel's heritage, 
If they had an unfaithful heritage, well, these people would have a lesser. If you had a more faithful heritage, God would give you a higher position in the future day. So that's what he's talking about here. And so you go to verse 10 of Ezekiel 44. Uh, Ezekiel 44, verse 10. And the Levites that are gone away far from me, when Israel went astray, which went astray from me after their idols, they shall even bear their iniquity. And they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charge at the gates of the house, and ministering to the house. And they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister unto them. So these Levites would have a privilege, but it was a privilege that would involve uh, the charge at the gates. We had talked about those gatekeepers in this future temple. And ministering to the house, service to the house of God, to the people of God. goes on to say they'll slay the burnt offering and sacrifice for the people, and they'll minister unto them. So that here in the outer court, these Levitical servants would be involved in sacrifice, or excuse me, in service for the people. And it's legitimate. It helps skin the animals. They'd help slay the animals on some occasions. Uh, They they would uh, watch the gates. They would help the people in this order we talked about in the sacrificial system. And so you had ministry to the people of God. And there is a wonderful place for that type of ministry, isn't there? To take the gospel out, number one, so they get saved and become the children of God. And then to establish them in the gospel like the book of Romans does. To establish them in the faith. And to help God's people be edified, that's a legitimate ministry. But there is a higher level of ministry here. And he goes on to talk about it. We'll break in at verse 15 of Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44 and verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me, to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord, and they shall enter into my sanctuary. That's the holy place. And they shall come near to my table to minister unto me, and they shall keep my charge. And now, brothers and sisters, we've we've read of two levels of ministry. Ministry to the people, and that was mainly out here. And then ministry to God. The priests would draw near to offer unto God. They would go into my sanctuary. They would draw near to my table, we heard, that they may minister unto me. And now we have a ministry in the holy place to the very heart of God himself. Ministry to the people. But in the house of God, there is ministry to God himself. And sometimes in our me-centered culture, we only think about my needs and people need this. And there's an aspect to that. But what is God's desires? Is it wasted time just to minister to the heart of God and give Him what He desires? It was a higher level of privilege here. And so we come across these two levels of ministries. In the outer court, as far as the Levites were concerned, ministry uh, for the people. Uh, As far as the priests were concerned in the holy sanctuary, uh, they will accomplish the service of God. They'll enter into the first tabernacle uh, to minister unto me, to draw near to my table which shows me there's a difference of activity between the inner court and the outer court. The inner court being the sanctuary, the outer court, the courtyard. Now, now we just have this listed for you. Between that, blood and water stood between the two. 
the, the door in the sanctuary. And that had to be dealt with. We talked about that. In the outer court, the courtyard, the service was public. In, in the sanctuary, it's private. <laughs> you, you won't see what's going on there, but it's going on. Okay? Outside, it's outside. Uh, it speaks of earth. Inside, well, it speaks of the heavenlies. The, the courtyard is Christ on earth. He died for our sins. People watched him on the cross. But now he's ascended up into heaven. And you can't see him in heaven. He's on the right hand of God. But he has a ministry today. He's the high priest of the church, the head of the church, and there's a ministry he's accomplishing. But it's, this will take you to Christ in heaven. Outside, it was illuminated by natural light, the courtyard. Inside, it will be the lampstand, a special ordered light. Uh, outside, all the pieces of furniture, jump ahead here, had no crown. Inside, some of the pieces had crowns. Uh, speaking of humiliation on the outside, Christ's humiliation, but Christ's glory and exaltation. Let me take you here ahead in one. Uh, the brazen altar had no crown. Laver had no crown. See the table of showbread? Crown. Golden altar of incense? Crown. Ark? Crown. The humiliation of Christ. Crowns. Crowned with glory. The exaltation of Christ on the right hand of God. We're going deeper in the appropriation and appreciation of the Lord Jesus when you go deeper into ministering to the heart of God himself. And going back to our chart here, talked about the crown. Outside, the work is for the sinner. In heaven, the work is for the saint, interceding for us. Outside, it was confession. He would lay his hand. Other scriptures would say the sins would be confessed. It was the confession of sin. Inside, it's communion with God. It's going to level up. Outside, it's forgiveness. Inside, we'll see it's fellowship. Outside, acceptance with God. It shall be accepted for him. Saved, acceptance. Outside or inside, appreciation of God, knowing your God. Outside, he died to save us. Inside, he's living to uphold us. He's the suffering Savior. He's the sustaining mediator. And so, as we go into this sanctuary, the first tabernacle, the holy place, we're going now to where there is no bronze. Once you go through the front door, everything is gold. The boards are gold. The sockets are silver. The uh, vessels, the final covering is gold. This is pure gold. Once you get beyond the sockets of the front door uh, uh, of the sanctuary, everything turns into gold and silver. You're going deeper. You're going into glory. You, you know, they have in the Olympics uh, a saying, go for the gold. Don't they? You know, when it comes to the house of God, salvation is wonderful, and preaching the gospel, and establishing God's people in the basics is necessary. But you know, as believers, you want to go for the gold. You want to go and minister to the heart of God. Ministry to God himself. Drawing into my sanctuary, drawing near to my table, they may minister to me. Meeting the desires of what God desires. What a calling that is. It's looked at as even a higher level of ministry. So we're going to find ourselves, like this priest you see here, in the holy place, uh, ministering to God. Ministering to God. But before we get it, start to get into some of the details of what ministry to God is, as pictured in the tabernacle and revealed in the New Testament itself, we want to spend a little time on what qualified that priest to enter in. He just couldn't wake up and say, I'd like to go into the sanctuary. No, he had to be qualified. He had to be qualified. What qualified him to do that great ministry in the house of God called ministry 
to God? I want, I want to start there. And then we'll see how that answers to where God has brought the believer today. And then we'll look at what is the ministry of God as the day goes on. Uh, so brothers, any opening comments on entering into the tabernacle, the sanctuary, to accomplish the service of God? Exodus 28, then. Book of Exodus. Let's go to the parable first. Exodus 28. Here's another picture of that inside sanctuary. It's all gold. You see the glory, the glitter? Here's another picture of it. Here's another picture of it. So, so you see, things are gold. Uh, sockets of silver. In here it's the ministry of God. But as I go backwards... Uh, what qualified this man to be in there? Okay, so we find ourselves in Exodus chapter twenty-eight. Exodus twenty-eight. Make it twenty-nine. Okay, Exodus twenty-nine. Book of Exodus in chapter twenty-nine, please. And verse one. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, etc. This is what you're going to do, that they will minister unto me. Okay. So the subject is ministry to God. What will qualify them to go on and to function in the priest's office? Well, you get to verse 4. I'm going to look at the major details here. Not, there's many minor ones that are great, and you can study those on your own. But what is happening here is consecration. It's a ceremony called consecration. For example, just look for a minute at verse 9 of Exodus 29. Verse 9. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, and Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them, and the priest's office shall be there for a perpetual statute, and thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. Consecrate actually means to fill their hands for ministry to God. Fill their hands. Thou shalt consecrate. Look further in chapter 29 of Exodus, please. And maybe some brother could read nice and loud verse 33. 29, 33. Okay. To consecrate them and to sanctify them. Set them apart for holy ministry to me. A ceremony called consecration. You know, today, what people look at that qualifies you to function in the church of God, the house of God today, is education. You've got to have a certain training, a certain education, a certain degree. And if you achieve that education, you can serve in the house of God. It wasn't education here. It was something called consecration. And I want to look at some of the details and how they will fit the church in the reality today. So we're, we're, we're back in the ex, early part of Exodus 29. What qualifies that priest to put a foot in there, you know? And uh, take you down to verse three, 4. Verse 4. It says, And Aaron and his sons shalt thou bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I'm just going to stop right there. Aaron and his sons wasn't for every Jew. It was for Aaron and his sons. So what do you think the first qualification is that we at least read here? 
What's that? Yeah, in other words, they have the right birth. You had to be born in Aaron's family. You had to have the pedigree of the Aaronic lineage. So you had to be fortunate enough to have the right birth. You could be somebody else and you can't go to preschool. You can't do this. You had to have the right birth, Aaron and his sons. Keeping something here, because we're going to be flipping back to Exodus 29, okay? Keeping something here. Go to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. New Testament reality now, the house of God, which is a spiritual house. It's not a place anymore, it's people. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, I'll ask for a volunteer, brothers, to read chapter 2 and verse 5, please. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. All right, we're a spiritual house now. We're living stones, not tabernacle boards or temple stones. Uh, the whole thing has changed. But, but we're a holy priesthood. What qualifies us to be a holy priesthood? Well, one of the things is back in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Someone, uh, I'll read it, verse 23. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You've got to have the right birth. <laughs> born again. It's for those who have received Christ that are born of God, not the will of man, but are born from above. To be born again through the Spirit of God. To be saved. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, etc. So those that he calls a holy priesthood, he first informs them of an experience they had called being born again. You know, receiving the Son and so on. New life. And so, just like the Old Testament, it's only a picture, it's only a parable. They had to have the right pedigree, the right birth. In their case, it was Aaron and his sons. In our case, it's being born of the Spirit through the Lord Jesus. So, so we see the right birth is necessary. Having said that, if you go back to Exodus 29, please. I'm going to take you back to verse 4. Exodus 29 and verse 4. Look at some of the major things here. And Aaron and his sons shalt thou bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shalt wash them with water. They had to have a cleansing. Wash them with water. Let me just go back a bit to this picture of the labor. I'm going backwards, several slides. There we are. They had to be washed in water. And at the door there, that's where the laver is. So this would be a bath. This would be a ceremonial bath. It was a one-time thing. It was dedication day. It was the inauguration of the priesthood. They had to have a cleansing in water. Yes, they had to stop daily, as we learn, hands and feet. This is more than hands and feet here. That Their bodies are washed in water. They had to have a cleansing to make them presentable to do this. So there needed to be a cleansing here. Uh, they had to have this bath. Uh, again, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the labor, but uh, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, Ephesians 5.26. We've not only been died for, we've been cleansed and sanctified, but by the word, his gospel has pronounced us clean. We've experienced a washing of regeneration. 
We just don't stand forgiven. We stand accepted, justified in Christ. And His Word has pronounced us clean, not some ritual. His Word, that's the power of the Gospel. Again, it's called the washing of regeneration. Now that's a one-time bath. You only get saved once. You only have the washing of regeneration once. Now daily we stop to take care of the daily habits and dirt of the world, our thoughts and so on, and uh, deal with those things and confess them when necessary. And we find a daily cleansing there. But there is this one-time bath. Uh, you remember Peter, don't you? And when the, he had to learn the lesson of the Lord washing his feet, he said, you'll never wash my feet. The Lord says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. Oh, if that means no part in you, you know, give me a bath, my head, my hands. Just wash me all over. You know what the Lord said to him? He that is washed needs not to be bathed. Needs not to be washed. You don't need another bath except your feet. Our daily walk picks up a content. But we don't need reborn. He says, you are clean every whit except for one of you, which was Judas, who was not a believer. You're already clean. So there's this one-time bath of sanctification, the washing of regeneration, that the Word pronounces us clean and acceptable to God. And uh, uh, so there had to be a cleansing. There had to be a cleansing. Uh, go with me, for example, to Hebrews 10. Let's go to the reality for a minute. This is the qualifications. And every believer has experienced this. We're going to see that it's just not a partial priesthood today. It's not clergy laity. Every believer is a priest because of the gospel, not because of education, because of consecration. We'll probably be saying more about this passage later, but he's asking believers in verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. To get to the holiest, you've got to go through the holy place, okay? Uh, verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Uh, the, Christ is consecrated. This is what Christ has done for us. Now, now look, look at the qualifications here. The blood of Jesus, but some brother read verse 21, please. 22. 10, 22. Our bodies washed with pure water. Part of the right I have to function as a priest today, and even enter into God's holiest, which we'll get into later, is my body's washed with pure water. Oh, not some ceremonial water now that religion uses. But sanctified by the water of His Word, clean through His Word, the washing of regeneration, His gospel pronouncing me not only forgiven, but clean, presentable. And so bodies washed in pure water, that's what qualifies me to be a priest. Who am I to go into the house of God and function? Well, I have the right birth. I also have had a cleansing of water, a bath. And I don't need to have a rebath, as he told Peter. So there had to be a, a, a calling by birth. There also had to be a cleansing by water. I'm going to move on to Exodus 29, unless some brother would like to comment on this dedication, this one-time inaugural bath that actually made them eligible to be priests. As you go back to Exodus 29, any comments on that? Hi. Well, it wasn't just a matter of being a, a Levite you know, for us. That's right. Trying to do 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just you had to go through this uh, consecration ceremony, which would involve several big things. And one of them was a cleansing by water. Again, you, you, you succeeded in one of those famous Claremont questions. I don't know. I overheard something during the break that somebody discovered how the gate was opened. Is that right? All the pictures shows you. Yes, okay, very good. <laughs> okay, uh, it could be right. Who knows? Uh, who did the washing? That'd be logical, but yeah. Okay. Went in a lot of people today with my I don't know answers. Huh? <laughs> uh, okay, back to Exodus 29. I want to take you down to verse 7. Now the high priest, he had to be crowned, but we're also talking about the regular priest. So we get to verse 7. Then thou shalt take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. That's the high priest. And then verse 8, and thou shalt bring his sons. That's the regular priest. And thou shalt bring his sons and put coats upon them. And thou shalt gird them with girdles or belts or sashes. And Aaron and his sons... Put on the bonnets on them, and the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, and thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. And so they were not only cleansed, so we go back to our little picture here, we jump forward, they were also clothed. And in linen garments, as other scriptures will teach. And so they had these linen white garments on, and they were clothed. So they were called by birth, they were cleansed, and they were clothed here uh, with linen garments. They also had bonnets on their head. The Old Testament priesthood, the men function covered. We do something different because of the authority of the risen Christ. We men function uncovered. We function, and the women function, pray and prophesy covered. Uh, but, but they had bonnets on their heads. The old, so the New Testament command is something new through the New Testament. But anyway, they function uh, clothed. We get to the New Testament, and we too are clothed, but no longer with religious vestments. There's no division today of clergy and laity because we're all priests. The gospel has made us all priests. We don't have to distinguish one another with religious garments here, but we are clothed. What do you think we're clothed with? The righteousness of God in Christ. The righteousness of God in Christ. Let, let's go to the reality to see how we've been clothed. To uh, 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 Romans chapter 3, if you would, please. Romans chapter 3. And somebody read, uh, brother, read verse 22, please. 3.22. The righteousness of God through or in Jesus Christ to all and upon all. We are clothed in God's righteousness in Christ. Just, it's one thing to be forgiven. Do you know what a president can pardon somebody? They usually do that in the last day of office, you know. Uh, but but they can, and you can get out of jail. But you know what doesn't happen to that person? He's not part of the president's administration the next day. He's not trusted to be part of the administration. Uh, he's been pardoned, but he's not in. We, we, we're not only saved, 
We, we are clothed. We are made presentable. We are declared righteous. That's, just, that's the whole doctrine of justification, to be declared righteous. You know, Isaiah 61.10 puts it in bridal poetic language. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. You will see the people in heaven, the saints in heaven, they're standing before God in white robes, just like the ancient priests. And how do those robes get white? Well, they came out of great tribulation, you know, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7.14. And so we see a clothing here that will speak of the righteousness of God through the gospel of Christ. So I'm a priest today. Every believer is a priest. And how do I function according to God's order and role today in the house of God, which is the church? Do I have to show education credentials? I don't. I show gospel credentials. I've been called by the new birth. I've been called by it. I've been cleansed by the gospel of the water uh, bathed. I've been clothed in righteousness. This is what qualifies you today (laughs) uh, to serve to minister to God, all pictured here in the Levites. Going back to chapter 29, there's more, Exodus 29. Please raise your hand, those of you who want to say something about what we said. Going to Exodus 29. A calling, a cleansing, a clothing. And uh, going further down, to verse 19. Verse 19. And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. Then thou shalt kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it on the tip of his right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the right thumb of their right hand, and on the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. So now we have a sprinkling of blood. Aaron and his sons, on their right ear, on their right thumb, on their right big toe. They're they're sprinkled with blood from head to toe. Sprinkled with blood from head to toe here, and the rest is put on the altar. And so we see there's a sprinkling of blood in part of their consecration. The blood that cleanses from sin that we've talked about. Now that's the picture. Remember in Peter, we've already been there, okay? 1 Peter 2.5, ye also are a holy priesthood. All born-again believers. Clergy and laity are gone. You know, you're, you're all clergy. If you want to, you're all, it's not laity that's disappeared. It's not clergy that's disappeared. It's laity that's disappeared. You know? uh, in fact, I had a friend once. We were in, lived in Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, during the summer, it was a tourist season by the ocean. And uh, on a Saturday, you, or any day in the summer, you couldn't find a parking spot. So we went down a few blocks, and my friend can't find a parking spot. And there's some type of a church building there. And it's a Saturday, so nobody's there. He pulls in the church building. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm the church. You know, it says no parking church. And then he pulls into the clergy spot. I said, what in the world? He says, I'm a priest. And he parked his car there, and that was the, you know, the day went well. Uh, now, you can argue about the application. Okay? But, but the tr- truth is that we're all priests. We're all priests. And we're going to see how we got to be priests. Now, Peter says we're a holy priesthood. I want you to go back to Peter, though. We already saw he said you had to be born again. But look what else he said. Go back to 1 Peter 1, please. 1 Peter 1. And 
And look at these believers that he's addressing here in verse 2. This is the very book that calls us a holy and a royal priesthood. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1 and looking at verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we already have been in Hebrews 10 where we enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. It said, uh, bodies washed with pure water. It also has said having your conscience sprinkled. Huh. This is why it's so important. Uh, I encourage the assembly here. We were talking with somebody during the break. Uh, we, have, we are losing. We are becoming ignorant of the Old Testament and the concepts. And that's why people struggle with the New Testament. What does it mean? They don't understand the old. You see the language is being used in the new of the old? Our older hymns that are full of rich doctrine are, are embedded with all these Old Testament concepts. And, and if the young people don't understand them, the, the hymn means nothing to them. You say to a young person who doesn't know history, they never studied history, you say to them, you don't want to vote for that candidate. You say, why not? You say, he's a modern day Hitler. Well, you know what that means. What if they never heard of Hitler? They won't have a clue of what you're talking about. Modern day Hitler, what's that? You know? uh, uh, only if they know history will they understand the statement. I think you're starting to see, did you see the New Testament using Old Testament expressions? That's why we, we teach our, uh, the next generation in the pictures, the types, the truths of the Old Testament, because the New Testament is written in that language, but it's fulfilled in Christ. Bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? You know, well, tabernacle. Uh, the blood of the sprinkling. What does that mean? Well, covered from head to toe. We're cleansed from our sin. They had to be sprinkled in blood. We have to be saved. Okay? This is what makes you a priest. More on this in the New Testament. Okay? Go to Revelation chapter 1. Book of Revelation chapter 1. Written to the churches here. Not Israel, not the world, not a gospel tract. Written to the churches from Jesus Christ. And looking at verse 5, for example, Revelation 1 and verse 5. 1, 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Some of you will have loosed us from our sins. Washed us from our sins in his own blood. The sentence is not over. He's made us so holy, so cleansed, so washed. Look what he's, it's made us, verse 6. And it's made us kings and priests. Some will have a kingdom of priests. Unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You know what has made me a priest? The gospel of Christ. The blood of Christ has so washed me and consecrated me holy that I'm considered a priest clothed in white. That's why when you tell me, and I walk into God's house, and you say, brother, unless you have an educational degree and an ordination, you can't function here. I say, I beg your pardon. You've just touched the gospel. Because the gospel has made me a qualified priest based on the blood of Christ. The gospel of Christ. So to insert man's rules to say, this is what makes you eligible, and the rest of the people are just common laity, maybe they don't mean it. They've touched the gospel of Christ. 
The blood of Christ is not enough. Look, look at chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Revelation. You know it well. But, but looking at verse 9. Revelation 5, verse 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Redeemed us by Thy blood. Uh, but look at, the sentence not over. Look at verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. What has qualified me as a priest, a kingdom of priests, is nothing less than the blood of Christ and the gospel connected with it. So that when you want to question my priesthood, my right to function in the temple of God today, which is the church, you're the temple, you're the holy places of God, is the word there, 1 Corinthians 3.16. And you say, who are you? And I'll say, well, it's not that I'm anybody, but the gospel has made me this. When you add qualifications beyond what the Bible teaches in the gospel, you have touched the gospel. And so there was a cleansing, there was a clothing, there's a sprinkling by blood from head to toe. But there's even more. So go back to Exodus 29, please. Any comments, brothers, so far? Well, Brother Rich, Rich has brought, or Rick has brought up the difference of sprinkled and washed. Uh, Revelation used the term washed or loose from our sins. The Old Testament concept, they did not give him a blood bath like they did with the water. But he saw that it got from, it was on their garments, it was on here, here, it was from head to toe. So it showed of a complete covering by blood. It, it was a concept that practically it would have been, I don't know what it would have been, but the dip him in real blood from head to foot. So it was a sprinkling. So sometimes the New Testament will use the word, the effects of that, you're washed from your sins. But when Peter's writing to a very Jewish audience who knew it, he, he will use the word, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And they could, like in the book of Hebrews, uh, having your conscience sprinkled from an evil conscience. So people who had more familiarity with the Old Testament, he, he would use those concepts because they would identify, would be my suggestion. But the results were exactly the same. Now, maybe somebody wants to add to what Brick, Brick maybe there's something deeper I'm missing here. Uh, we have Brother Clay with us, Brother Al, Brother David, a whole bunch of people that knows. It's yeah. the best I can do for you. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. It's uh, on the right here. Yeah. The right thumb and the, the right toe, and those are the four the creatures of the flesh that are revealed. It's not so much the garments. Yeah. Yeah. The garment later was sprinkled too. But yeah, it's, you know, one, can, one is the ear gate, the mind, you know. The other your actions, the other is your walk. The whole thing is cleansed. Yeah, yeah they, we're baptized in his death. The whole thing of his death becomes ours. Dead to sin, alive to God. Yeah, Romans 6, it, it goes even deeper, yeah. You want to add to that? Yeah. 
The baptism is an immersion, a whole thing. Uh, the actual blood is looked at as a sprinkling, uh, but the effects of that is a whole immersion, and that's what we were trying to get across. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and verses you read on it was to be sprinkled on the high priest's garments. He functioned in blood-stained garments. Before I had PowerPoint, before I had my model tabernacle, a brother painted me the high priest on a nice black background, beautiful painting. And uh, we would illustrate these back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and I sent it back to him. I said, can you do me a favor? He said, what's that? I guess you go sprinkle blood on those garments. He said, I can't do it. He said, it's so beautiful. I said, I know. I said, read this verse. He said, I'll do it. <laughs> and it, it, it just shows all this glory, though. It's bloodstained. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's true here, isn't it? That's great. In other words, we would look at that as dirty as messy, and it's actually cleansing. So, so it's looking through spiritual eyes. He put it on, by the way. He understood. Yeah, that's, that's good, though. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to get to it tomorrow. I don't think I will, but I'm going to submit something a little different if you'll allow me. If I don't get to it, then you can ask me why tomorrow. That when he went into the holiest, it was not with the garments of glory. It's the, with the white linen garment. Okay, yeah. It was with the white linen garment. In the outside part, he's in the garments of glory. It would be the garments of glory here for the high priest. I just got a regular priest in that particular one. Uh, that's my that's my fault. Uh, there we go. There's some garments of glory for you. Yeah, I just uh, that's the way the artist did it. He just showed the priest, but this one shows the high priest. Uh, but when he actually went to the holiest of holiest, and it, it's a big parable meaning in there, he actually changed his clothes. But we'll, we'll uh, we might get to that tomorrow. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was Betty's dad that said this. I could be wrong, but I think he said this. If he didn't, he'll tell me when I get up there. <laughs> but he says, if you can't see Christ in your brethren, then see your brethren in Christ. <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't act Christ-like, but we're in Christ. Covered, and, and we have to work at that level, not to ignore things that are wrong, but, but we're on the same team. I think that's what you're, if you can't see Christ in your brother, at least see your brother in Christ, they're under the blood. I, I think he told me that, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, 
I, I, what's the rest of your question? Oh, the sprinkling of blood is an inauguration thing. That, 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 that it was a one-time ceremony. Uh, the table of showbread was w once a week. Uh, the lampstand was morning and evening, and the incense was morning and evening. So there were different time frames depending on the piece. But there was, uh, the table of showbread was done by the Aaron and his sons. The lampstand was done by Aaron, the high priest. And the altar of incense was done by Aaron, the high priest. And I think we'll get to some of that as the weekend goes on. Yeah. So going back to this consecration ceremony in Exodus 29. Exodus 29. I'm going backwards to this one. Uh, and we'll go down to verse 21. Verse 21. And thou shalt take of the blood that is upon the altar and of the anointing oil... And sprinkle upon Aaron and upon his garments. Now, this is where the blood is sprinkled on his garments. And his sons, as well as the oil. And upon the garments of his sons with him, and he shall be hallowed, set apart, his garments and his sons, and his sons' garments with him. And so, they were not only sprinkled with blood, they were sprinkled with oil, anointing oil. Now, as you know, sometimes today, we, the president, he gets into office by... He'll be an elected, you know, inauguration day and so on. Uh, in God's idea, what made someone officially of God was anointing. Sometimes the priest, here the priest is anointed. Uh, the king was anointed. Prophets were anointed on some occasions. That is, the word Christ, Christos, means the anointed one, the Messiah, officially of God. So here they were sprinkled with oil, anointing oil. They were anointed. This is what qualified them, sprinkled with blood, anointed with oil, cleansed, clothed, called by birth. Every one of these things we've experienced in the gospel. Every one of them. The sprinkling of the blood, the cleansing by water. Have we experienced the, the, what the picture is of the sprinkling of the anointing oil? Have we experienced that? Oh, we have. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality of the parable. It's in the New Testament. Go to 1 John 2. Epistle of 1 John chapter 2. And uh, here it is, and uh, it's in more than one place, but here it is in 1 John 2. And look at verse 27, what the children of God are told. Verse 27. 1 John 2 and verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Oh, we have an anointing. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you in all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And so we have an anointing that we've received of Him. Now you go on a little further, and it gives you a little more light on this. Uh, you go down to the end of chapter 3. The end of chapter 3 here. And looking at verse 24. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. The oil becomes a, it's the energy that makes the lamps burn. and It becomes a picture of the Holy Spirit. And it's called the anointing, as we read in 127, or uh, the, 227. The anointing ye have received in him abideth in you. 
What abides in us? Well, the Holy Spirit abides in us. So that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. We've been anointed. So that I have the sprinkling of the oil. I have the, people say, you need professional training. I say, can you get more professional than the Holy Spirit? (laughs) I've been anointed. (laughs) I I have the Spirit. I have the blood. I've been pronounced clean. I'm clothed in white. I'm called by the new birth. You know, my dad, I, I, a few of you might, knew my dad. He's a very practical man, all right? Put, put ways in simple language. Sometimes in a New Testament assembly where they practice the priesthood of all believers, there would be failure, you know? And there'd be times of temptation. He wanted to go get lost in a regular church, you know? Uh, and then he'd start, start to think. And he'd say, boy, I decided this. I'm a priest. And he did that with his blood. And though men fail here, I can still use my priesthood, you know? He said, I'm not going to go to a place that, uh, where they take me and they tape my mouth and they tie my hands and tie my feet and just say, set there. He said, I'm not going to sell my priesthood. Yeah. And that's why he never left and endured the problems, okay? Uh, uh, th- th- this is the church of God. He's purchased with his own blood. You know, we've got to take this priesthood seriously. Uh, we-, we are priests, and are we exercised about that? This is how they became priests. Do you think they valued it? Well, Sometimes they did. You know, we are purchased with His blood, that the Holy Spirit, the investment God has given to us, cleansed us through Christ. That I can say, you can say as a believer, that you are a priest and should be involved in the body of Christ. You have a right to be involved. You know, it'd be something like this to not get involved. You say some child wants to go to school and they talk to their parents and they're becoming a doctor. And the parents pay for hundreds of thousands of dollars, 12 years of education beyond high school, whatever it is. And uh, they graduate with a doctorate. And the parents say, well, where are you going to set up your office? Well, Mom, I'm going I'm to cook for McDonald's and flip hamburgers. There's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're called to do. Why didn't you tell me 12 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look at the investment. It's, it's the blood of Christ that's brought you here. Are we exercised in our priesthood, men in the assembly, women with their various gifts, to, to be involved in the body of Christ, to say, this is what I've been given. I, I can serve in the house of God. I, I, I've been saved to minister to God. We haven't learned so much what that ministry is, but we have learned so far what qualifies us. What qualifies us. I have one more thing to say on this. If you go back to Exodus 29. You go back to Exodus 29. And there's a lot of little details I'm skipping here that even gives more depth here. But I just want to show you one more thing. That the sacrifices they sacrificed for their consecration, where they got the blood from. Uh, you look here, if you would, uh, at verse 32. Exodus 29 and verse 32. And Aaron and his sons shall eat of the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made, to consecrate them and to sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat thereof, because they are holy. So his whole diet was changed. He ate the atonement food. The things that atoned for him, especially the blood sacrifices, he was to eat some of that. So to his diet, he had a priestly diet, feeding on the atonement food. Do you think now that we're priests that our diet will be any different than the world? Remember the book that called us a holy priesthood? 1 Peter 2.5? Somebody read what he wrote three verses before it. 
Somebody read 1 Peter 2.2, 2, please. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Yeah, this holy priesthood, he says, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. Feeding not on the philosophies of religion and the world, feeding on the work, the pure word of God. We have a priestly diet. We're born again by the word. It has revealed the gospel to us of Christ. So we start to see all these different things and what qualified them to walk in here. Why? They had to be cleansed and clothed. It's all part of the consecration. It's not education. It was the consecration of God. He's consecrated us through the veil, through His blood. We're sprinkled. We're, our bodies are washed with pure water. We can boldly enter in. In fact, we'll see how far uh, later in the uh, series. Any closing comments on what qualified the priest to enter into the holy place to accomplish the ministry unto God? Now that you know what you are, Let's go for the gold. Let's encourage our young people in these areas. Uh, don't be afraid of the Old Testament. The New Testament is, 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 uses its language. And they're not going to know what you're singing about or talking about unless they know something of the Old Testament. I had, by the grace of God, I, I grew up having my teeth cut on that. Seven years old, I'm sitting in tabernacle meetings. You know, and uh, I guess some of it rubs off. I wasn't even saved yet. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, you learn a little bit. And I know my daughter, youngest daughter, Mary Beth, I used to travel around with that model. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was at some conference or camp. I was setting up a chart on numbers, the wilderness journey. It just happens to have a little piece, picture of the tabernacle. That's not the main subject, but it's one of the stops there. And she sees this chart. She says, oh, no, the tabernacle again. <laughs> I said, really, not this time, honey. I said, that's just a small part of the big picture. But what, what the kids at the camp told me later they, and Mary Beth must have been seven or eight. They said, man, we had her at night at the campfire, and we're talking about things, and she's teaching us the tabernacle. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, some of it sinks in. And, and these concepts come alive when you can understand the parable. The reality makes more sense. Now, I'm going to take the break now. I know I'm just a bit early because I'm ready to start the part B of this, what is the ministry of God in the holy place, and I don't want to stop after three or four minutes. Any final comment?